You're listening to Leveling Up, where we'll show you how to win at the game of life and business. It's time to power up your skills through life gamification with your host, Eric Sue. All right, everyone. Today, we've got Sam Parr. And as you know, we don't usually do interviews on the Marketing School podcast, but Sam's special because Sam <laughs> does great work with the My First Million podcast. He co-founded a company called The Hustle, which sold to HubSpot. We'll talk about big company life in a little bit, and we'll talk about the new stuff that he's working on. But Sam knows a thing or two about building audiences. I think he's a very practical guy, a little conservative sometimes, according to him. I think we're going to talk a lot about you, a lot of different you, things. Do you think I'm conservative? I do. Yeah, that's funny. I agree with you. It's funny that you said it, but we can we can Conser- conservative in the sense that I hold back too much, like when I talk or when I run my business. No, no, no. You don't hold back when you talk. I don't think you hold back when you talk. I think you're very direct, which I love. I think when it comes to maybe business, I think you might be a little more conservative there, which is like there's nothing wrong with that. So I would agree. And it frankly, it's something I'm trying to change. You have Sean on the other side, right? Who's like all in gambler. Like I'm kind of more like that. And then there's you, right? It's a good balance. So wh- why change? Let's talk about that first. So when I was like 19 or 20, I set a goal that I wanted to make enough money by the age of 30 that I never had to work again. And the reason I did that was because I kind of like, I, I knew what it was like not to have much. And I knew what it was like to like make decisions of like, do I eat the healthy food or the unhealthy cheap food? Just like silly thing, not silly, but smallish things like that, that actually add up. So I was like, if, if I get my nut by 30, that money, that nut, I'm going to use just to live on forever. And then the rest, anything I earn after that will be crazy money. And once I got the nut, the amount that I wanted, then I, I realized I, I didn't change as much as I thought. And like, I don't want to risk anything above that. I don't got know. It. I got to figure it out. What was that nut figure that you had before? $20 million. Got it. Got it. Yeah. I, I mean, explain kind of the concept behind it. Cause I, I've been talking with my friends, right? Like the concept of having your nut and then just kind of going crazy afterwards. And then, and then we'll kind of talk, then, then I want to have you do an introduction. So. so basically like I, I had always, there's actually a guy and you can kind of see him in my background there. His name is Felix Dennis. Do you know Felix Dennis? Yeah. 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 yeah I've read that book. Yeah. So he had this amazing book and I had always wanted to do what he wrote about, but I didn't articulate it well. And I didn't understand that other people wanted to do it as well. But basically in his book, he, so this guy named Felix Dennis, he's got this book that's horribly named how to get rich. It's not horribly named because that's exactly what the book is about, but it's horribly named and that it's embarrassing to say you're reading it, but he's a beautiful writer. And he basically, he's like a poet to me. And he, he was basically like Richard Branson plus Mick Jagger. And he was like this degenerate, like, alcoholic drug guy, but he built huge businesses, including Maxon magazine. And he was worth $800 million. And he writes this book explaining how he did it. And basically he said, if I could do it all over again, I would have made enough money by age 35. And then I would have very carefully pick and chose which money making activities and ways I spent my time because I spent so much time just chasing dollars when I didn't actually have to do that. And I regret that a lot. And I was like, oh, that's, that's exactly how I want. That's what I want to live. And so, but I was like, well, instead of 35, let's do 30. And I had also read about Mark Cuban. Mark Cuban sold his first business at 32. And he made back then 94, like 3 million bucks, I think. And he was like, that's enough for me to live frugally forever. That's perfect. And then like eight years later, he started broadcast.com, which he sold for multi-billion. And I just always thought that's the perfect position to be in, where you have enough that you don't want, and then you can pick and choose your battles. And that I always wanted to be in that situation. 
I love it. Cool. So let's let's go a little bit into. I, I gave like a quick like one or two sentences on you. So what's the intro on you, and what are you working on now? The intro on me. That's that's funny. I'm most known for this company I started called The Hustle, which was a daily email that reached nearly two million people a day. I sold it one year ago. I also now am 100 focused on my podcast, My First Million, which has gotten kind of popular lately, and so that's maybe what I'm most known for now. But I'm from Missouri, lived in San Francisco for 10 years, live in Austin now, and I got my hands in a bunch of things. Yeah. Oh, we'll, we'll talk about those, those things in a little bit too. Uh, Cause I mean, every time I check your Instagram, you're like this new workout or you're trying this new thing or whatever, kind of like a little bit of a Renaissance man, like a redneck Renaissance man, you know, like I'm buying like I ice baths. That. <laughs> that, that, I could say it. it yeah. I, I like ice baths. I like working out. I like, I like trying all types of crazy stuff. Yeah. And plus, so how many downloads is, is the pod at now? In December, we either were, we were at 2 million. I don't remember if it, it was either. 50,000 above 2 million or 50,000 below 2 million. But, but I, I sell it at 2 million. million. Yeah. Yeah. What was it at a year ago? 300,000. Wow. Okay. So let, let's talk about that first because this is marketing school, right? So podcast growth. I mean, everyone wants to grow a podcast. It's freaking hard. What I recommend it for everybody. No, you probably want it as well. So A, why are you focusing on the podcast right now? B, what are some creative things you've done to grow it? So I just tweeted this like yesterday or the day before, and it, I was kind of, being sarcastic, but not entirely. And I tweeted out, if you paid me a million dollars to grow your podcast, I'm almost positive I wouldn't be able to do it. And the reason being is podcast is the one thing that the content just, it's just really the content. It's got to be good. Now, it's got to cross a certain threshold of which most do not cross that threshold of good. But I talked to Jordan Harbinger, who's a homie of mine, and he has the Art of Charm podcast. So it ranges from five to 15 million downloads a month. And when we were at like a million, I was like, Jordan, are you 15 times better than me? He goes, no, I'm not. My content isn't 15 times better than you, but I'm 15 times better than marketing at you probably. And he goes, you could probably, I bet that you're better than me or you're a little bit worse than me, but we're in the same ballpark. And he basically said that what he does is he buys ads. So in his first year, he spent $400,000 buying ads on other podcasts. The second year, $800,000. And the third year, like over a million. But he was making more than that off ad revenue from his podcast. And so we implemented that starting like last month. But we crossed $2 million already without doing that. But that's the tactic that we're going to do. And I have a feeling that's going to work really nicely. But once we sold the company, I told HubSpot... I, the company's bigger than I, than is in my capabilities. Like I can't, I can't run this anymore, but I want to stay and host a podcast. And so they gave me the resources to hire someone to replace me. So I basically hired my boss and all I do is focus on the podcast. Once we did that, once it Sean and I really like nailed that, we hired a researcher to help a little bit. We saw downloads go up. So basically when we invested more in the content, there'd be days and we still do it sometimes because it's fun, but there'd be days where like, we're just like sitting down in the chair we hit record and we just start talking. And those days are sometimes great and sometimes like a little bit all over the place. And so we've just honed our craft. It's just like the content. It's, that's the hardest thing to get to get right. Yep. And when you think about your podcast, because for us right now, right, we're back at 1.2 million a month, but also keep in mind, like these are five minutes. They're, they're every day. And it's very different because when I listen to you guys, it's clear that you've done the research, right? And I want to talk about that in, in, in a second. But for us, we kind of just, our team will put together a bunch of titles and then we'll edit the titles and we'll just riff, right? But I think- Which is, which is the right way to go if you want to grow, I think. Like it's, it's a headline game. 
We'll see. I mean, we'll, we'll, we'll see. I think that the growth is coming back. We're kind of just averaging like last couple of months, 10% month over month growth. And, and so I, I want to ask you real quick, like, what would you do here? Cause right now we have a deal and I'll be transparent with everyone. Cause this is out on the internet. You know, we have a flat structure with the hosting company right now that basically pays us like 800 grand a year for the pod. Right. And it's basically like all profit because we, we don't really have staff. Like we have some staff helping like here and there. Who's um, your publisher? We don't really, I don't think we, we, I don't think we have one. Well, who's paying you 800 grand? Dream, dream hosts. Yeah. And dream hosts so, is like a network. They're like a hosting company of when you say publisher, like the ad, advertiser got to got. Yeah. And they're going to take a, and they get paid because they're going to sell your, their ads for more than 800 K and just take the profit. Yeah. I mean, for them, it's more yeah. of like a, it's more of like a branding exercise, right? We love working with DreamHost, obviously, but every now and then, you know, someone will reach out and be like, oh, like, you know, we should just do like a CPM deal or whatever. And then we'll help grow you. And it might be like a big podcast network. Right. But we're pretty loyal to DreamHost. I'm just wondering what would Sam Parr do? Let's say you're not connected to HubSpot right now and you can just monetize it more. Well, we get paid similarly. So HubSpot pays us as hosts, like a rate per thousand downloads. And so basically, there's two ways to grow your monthly downloads. You increase the frequency of episodes or you increase the amount of downloads per episode. It's significantly harder and significantly better to increase the second one, the downloads per episode. So nailing that is, is, is hard. And, but that's the thing you got to focus on. Because once you get the downloads per episode, then you can just start cranking them out. And you could like, like some days we'll release two or three podcasts in a day just to see what happens. And so the way that you increase that downloads per episode that I have found is you have high profile guests and the guests share it with their audience. You appear on other people's podcasts as a guest or the third one, you buy ads on other people's podcasts. Yep. My opinion, knowing you and knowing Neil, well, I don't know him, but I've read him. I would argue that you guys nail the analytical part. And so like you can hack the system pretty easily. But I think that where... I think that content is one part science and one part magic and art. And if you get too caught into just chasing headlines and just optimizing for SEO or whatever the equivalent of podcast EO, I think that I think that you're not going to have that spontaneity and that magic. Like some of the stuff that Sean and I do and some of the stuff that like some of the best people do, it doesn't really seem interesting on paper or map out. But because we're so excited about it, like people get into it. For example, we have this segment called Billy of the Week. And like, we just made it up randomly. We're like, I just heard about this billionaire uh, who does this, this, and this. And here's how it works. And we call it Billy of the Week. And like Billy of the Week, you're not going to search for that. You know, that doesn't like sound interesting necessarily. Like you don't even know what a Billy is. We made up that word. But because of that, now it's like a hit. And every time we say Billy of the Week, like people get into it. And so I would argue that for you guys to grow... Figure out how to, I do think that you have to follow numbers and stuff like that, but figure out how sometimes just say, screw it and just do something cool just because it, it, it excites you. I'm totally down with that. It's, it's got to go both ways though. Neil likes structure. He's typically not as flexible and Neil, you're listening to me right now. So anyway, we might, we might play around with it like, a little bit. Like watch this, watch this. Okay. So I bet you I can get this download, this episode to be a favorite for a lot of people. And here's why. I know about you. I know about Eric. I know about Neil. You guys work with some crazy, interesting companies. So if we want, we could, and I'm, I'd be down, we could turn this episode into me asking you all about Agora. Agora is incredibly interesting. And I know that you guys work with them. Agora is incredibly interesting because they make over a billion dollars a year, but no one really talks about them or knows about them. Yeah. So if I just started asking you about that, 
this wasn't planned. Like you didn't say it, like, let's talk about this. But, but I find that to be incredibly interesting. If I just started asking you about that, I bet this would become a, a very try, popular episode. Try me. So, all right, let's do it. So the headline will be like, um, how there's a, a $1.5 billion a year business that you've never heard of is crushing or something like that, or, you know, whatever. So Agora, basically for the people who don't know the room, it's like, I've only heard rumors and I've talked to people who work there. So I don't know if any of this is fact. They make around a billion to 2 billion, one, one, one to 1.5 billion a year. It's mostly newsletter based. They own like 30 or 50 properties, something like that. They're all based out, mostly based out of mansions in Baltimore. It's relatively libertarian and like in, in newsletters that cost between $100 and $2,000 on how to invest in stocks and things like that. No one talks about them. They're owned by one guy, kind of a crazy person, Bill Bonner. And apparently I see Neil all over their ads for entrepreneurs and angels. Is that what it's called? Yeah. That's one of their programs. So it's like a new thing. Is that he- working? Yeah. So without revealing the numbers on that one, it was absolutely crushing because their their whole thing is financial newsletters, right? So their whole thing is, you know, here's this new money-making opportunity, right? And they know how to get people all riled up about it. So now it's like, oh, like the real money-making opportunity, they pull Neil in and they pulled they pulled Robert Herjavec in for for like a commercial, right? And they 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 paid them both well, right? And um, it's like, no, you're like I where I made the most money is through angel investing, right? And you know, what's important is deal flow. And then they're really good at hyping things up. They're really good at copywriting. And I want to ask the obvious, is it a scam or do people get value? I I would say so here's here's my take on it. It feels internet markety to me. And so like I, I tend to gravitate more towards like the Silicon Valley like growth marketers, right? I, I tend to avoid kind of the internet marketing space. And so it's very like, and it's because they over-optimize for like make more money, make more money at all costs, right? Like even at the expense of other people. And so what I understand about them, and this is kind of going in a roundabout way of answering you, but we've actually hired people that have gone through Agora's training. They're excellent at training copywriters. But when we hire these people, when we talk to these people, they're like, yeah, like, you know, I got really good at copywriting, but this is just not for me for the long term because it doesn't feel right. Right. So that's kind of the the gut feeling. Um, and for the and for the listeners, basically, Agora, you'll see your you'll absolutely see their ads in the bottom of CNN or Fox News article in the outbrain. You click an ad and it's like a 10,000 word sales page, literally just text and a video. And that's mm-hmm. it. Yep. And they're but, known for training copywriters. Right. And by the way, like there's there's one guy they have on their team that that came from Brazil. He's an excellent copywriter. He wrote a book called The One Page Sales Letter. It's really good, it. right? So the team, the team's really good. I can't say like whether I think they're scammers or not, um, but I can say like without a doubt, and I'm sure some Agora people will hate me for this, but I have we have like talked to people on the Agora or recruited people from the Agora side before. But I think at the end of the day, they really they really understand human psychology. Like the guy you're talking about, he also has like another name, I think. Like he has written a couple books. Yeah, um, Bill Bonner, and then there's like Bill Masterson. Masterson, Bill Master- Masterson yeah. writes under Bill Ford. It's like some crazy shit. But like, but here's the thing though. They got sued recently by the FTC about two years ago, and they just settled it actually two weeks ago. I, or I think two weeks ago. I read the article. Like I went to the S, uh, FTC website, and they got sued because do you know why they got sued? Mm-mm. Because they were trying to sell a book on two things. The first was how to cure diabetes, like through information, and which like you can't do that. It doesn't work that way. And the second thing was they told people that there's this thing called like a Republican tax, where if you're a Republican, you don't have to pay taxes because of this reason and that reason. Obviously bullshit. And they sold it and they got sued for that because it, they made like $20 million off that. Yeah. They and know. So they, 
how to create money printing machines. And if you look at Masterson's, he has a blog. I don't know if you've read his blog before. Dude, I, his, 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 he's got a book that's badass. Yeah. You actually, you, I heard about the book from you. I was like, oh, I didn't hear about that one. And then I, I went and bought it. I was in the gym. This was last week, I think, or the week before. So kudos to you. Okay. So that was interesting, by the way. That was fun, right? Love to do that more. Actually, we should make that a clip. So we'll, we'll make this one multiple clips, by the way. Get so reach. by the way, like the reason that was interesting is because I am clearly excited about that. And so are you. So yeah. anyway, I think that like, that's like a spot, uh, something that's spot, uh, spontaneous in, in a little bit. I've got to go interview the founder of Grammarly. Have you heard of Grammarly? Yeah. Um, yeah. No, they, they crush it. What are Dude, they, it's a multiple, multi, multi-billion com- dollar company now, right? Like five or $10 billion, but it's not a bullshit valuation. They make yeah. like, at the time, uh, when I talked to them like four years ago, they were making over a hundred million recurring revenue bootstrapped. Mm-hmm. So now they're probably at three or 400. And so I'm going to, I'm just going to like, the reason I'm asking to come on is I'm just gonna be like, dude, how on earth does a Google plugin or Chrome plugin make all that money? Cause it's so fascinating. Isn't that why you invested in Toucan as well? I did invest in Toucan. Yeah. I love that company. I invested in a Chrome plugin called Toucan. It's like teaches you how to read it, uh, read different languages, but I think uh, you got him before I did too. Uh, yeah. Did they? Uh, yeah. I, I was in somewhat early. I think it's going to be badass. The founder, her name is Taylor. And when I the, like within two minutes of talking to her, I was like, Oh, you're, a, you're like going to be a celebrity. Like you're going to be, you're like going to be a celebrity CEO. You have like the most charm I've ever seen in my life. So anyway, I think that's why this segment will, would have been cool is because we were interested yep. in it. For sure. So I, I do want to talk about, so the excitement's one piece, right? But then it's clear, you, you mentioned you guys have a researcher now, but even before you had the researcher, like what were you guys doing to prep? I just want people to understand how much work was going into it because I don't think you guys have an agenda just like out of nowhere. We do. So kind of, but we like, it's called like commander's intent. So like we plan knowing that we're not going to stick to the plan. And so we have a doc called million dollar brainstorm MDB. And at this point it's hundreds of pages long and we keep it on our phones. And whenever we have ideas, we just type it out and put our research in there. And like, for example, I do this all the time and now Sean does it a lot. Like I'll drive by like an old town if I'm on a road trip and there's this massive warehouse called Smithville. I'm like, what the hell is that thing? And I just like, look it up. I'm like, oh my God, they make that much pork. That's crazy. That's how much money making pork. And then like, I just like, that's like how it works is like, we just see stuff. Or another thing that I do is I go to a website and I find it interesting. I scroll to the very bottom and look at who owns the copyright. And I'm like, what is this company? And I Google it. I'm like, oh my God, they own like 18 of these properties. That is wild. And then I'm, I like research it and that's how it works. And so we have this document that has all these ideas. And then five minutes before the show, our producer like outlines what he thinks is most interesting. And then Sean gets on and I get on. And then we don't say a word to each other. We just hit record and we go, what's going on, dude? Um, what do you want to talk about today? Like, I mean, that's basically how it works. And we, you're, and we you're purposely, live during those too, right? Because I sometimes I'm like, hey, what do, we, what, do we, what do you want to talk about today? Oh, yeah, we're live. Like, that's what I'm saying. We don't talk before. Like, you, before this show, you asked me what's on limits and what's off limits. And we record all that. So right when they, right, if we have a guest, right when they come on, it's live. And I go, hey, man, just so you know, it's live. If you ever say anything that you don't want live or like, we, just let us know and we can try to edit it out. But you're live now. How's that? And so we just get right to it. Yeah. I love that. You guys, I mean, so what does the cadence look like now? Cause sometimes by the way, you guys have really good rapport with Andrew Wilkinson. So definitely more of those. I'm sure you've heard that a billion times. Yeah, um, so how, it, I think you guys used to do it weekly now, right? Well, what does it look like now? It started like one time a week 
And then we're like, let's just do two times a week. And now it ranges from two to four a week. So we always do two. But like, if I find someone interesting who I want to talk to, or Sean has an interesting idea, or I have an interesting idea, we just say, hey, you want to get on? Let's do it. Yeah. And so we're scat- we record every Monday and Wednesday at uh, uh, two o'clock central. And then like something will happen sometimes where we'll go and record an additional episode or two episodes. So it's probably, I mean, hours in terms of hours committed, it's probably like 16 to 20 hours a month. So we record between one hour and one and a half hours. I sit down at my computer 10 minutes before the top of the hour to get my setup right and to get in the mindset. And then right when we're done, I click end and I shut my computer and I just walk off. So it's a pretty strict time limit. And, but I think about it all the time. If I'm like having a conversation with someone, like the other day, I, ha- I have this buddy who works at a, a, a huge company that does, that helps the government do stuff. And I, I have to be kind of subliminal, but he's like, basically like, dude, we just, we helped stop a, a terrorist attack today. And like, I'm like, what? Like, tell me everything. I go, by the way, like, I want to talk about this. So uh, like, and so I just write it down. Love it. Yeah. Makes all the sense in the world. Hopefully this motivates everyone listening to, to this around the pod. I, I do want to talk about one more thing too. Sam's point. I, I remember I, I was talking to Jordan a while back. He's, this is when he was spending like, he's like, I'm ready to spend 600 grand. So it looks like he's ramped up more than that. But if you think about it, like if you're trying to grow an email list, you probably go buy ads on other email lists, right? It's like natural, but some people don't think about the most obvious things. So, well, um, yeah. And so to restate that, it's basically buy and buy the medium in which they are already in. So like podcast listeners are going to listen to more podcasts because we tried buying ads on Facebook to drive them to download on iTunes. It's like tough. prohibitive. It's like impossible. Yeah. I, I don't think that's even close to possible. Yeah. Also um, driving people from an email list. It's good, but not nearly as great as a lot of people think. I will say it was good. Like when we launched this podcast five, six years ago now, wow. When we hit the email list initially, it was a big jump, but then it same. started. So we stopped doing it after. So yeah, same. So with us, we like, so right now we get between like, let's say 50,000 and a hundred thousand downloads an episode. When we first started, we were getting like also 50,000, but then it dropped once the hype drove went down. So it dropped to like 15 to 20,000. And then it was just like a slow build back up. Got it. So I, I want to, um, I mean, this is a nice segue into Hub, HubSpot. So is HubSpot, by the way, are, when you guys are going to start buying ads or if you're buying ads already, are they fronting the cost for that? Yeah, they own they own the hustle and the hustle owns my first million. Oh, got it. Well, that's interesting. So I've always wanted to ask you. So how did you manage to because Sean's not involved with the hustle, right? So how did you manage to get that deal like done? Like what's in it for him type of thing? Well, he made a lot of money. I mean, we paid him a lot. So we we gave him a percentage of every ad. So basically, like there, there's pros and cons. So basically, the hustle owned my first million, but the hustle also paid for everything. So like anything he needs, it's paid for. And then if there's ad revenue, there's there's a there's a, a fair split. At this point, like it's not crazy that he's gonna make seven figures recording in the podcast and he has no cost. Mm-hmm. And he and we hire a researcher for him and he's famous. You know yeah. what I mean? Like he's famous now. So like that's the pros and cons. But he also now gets like we all get paid on performance. And so like you get a lot of the upside of owning it without actually owning it and not a lot of the downside. Now you could do it the other way where it's like, Oh, okay. You want to own it. Okay, great. Uh, go hire your producer, go make sure you're paying them on time, go buy your own ads, things like that. And so it's like pros and cons. 
Got it. Yeah. Podcasting, if you have an audience, if it's working, it's a really good job. Uh, So it's fun. Yeah. I mean, I, frankly, I find it to be work. I like it, but like I get, I I can't say it's fake. Sean is always three minutes late, three to five minutes, no matter what we do. We've set the, the calendar invite for like five minutes ahead of recording. He's always three to five minutes late. That's no big deal because like, that's just part of his personality. Like he's a really creative person and creative people sometimes like aren't always in the box and that you just accept that. But I'm always on time and our producers are always on time. And so we'll hop on and I'll be like, God damn it, Sean, just get in here on time. And then I got to like <laughs> smack myself. I'm like, oh, you can't be angry. You got to get out of it. So it's, it can be work. It takes a lot of energy. When I do a podcast at the end, I need to like lay down. Huh. Yeah, I could. You guys put a lot. Again, you guys put in way more effort than we do on this one. And the reason I asked you the, the the hourly question is because, like, all in, like, really, Neil and I are putting in like two hours each a month on it, and that's it, right? But like, in in order for us to grow, I think this is going to be a good experiment because I'm just going to put it in front of him and be like, "Hey, talk to Sam. Like, he's been growing. We should be doing this. Let's test it out, right?" So. Well, and, and here's another thing that I would do. Like, me and Sean, we work on like our jokes and like our craft. And I, so like, I'll like hear a funny, I'll read a book and I'll hear a really funny metaphor and I'll like workshop it with him. Mm-hmm. And so it's almost he, him more so than me. He kind of views himself as a comedian or like, it's like a performance. And so we that. really, and we hone in on that. And so for example, this is just a tiny example. I heard someone say that like they sold something for six figures and I was like, oh, that's kind of funny because it could be like a thousand dollars and you just included the 0.00 into the figure count. And like, I'm like, Sean, what do you think about that joke? Is that funny or not? You know, little things like that. And uh, like we hone in on it or we'll be like, uh, we just heard someone use a certain phrase that we liked, or he heard me use a phrase that I like. And he goes, oh, I'm using that phrase all the time now. I love it. By the way, do you guys use the chartable analytics that shows you the cohort retention? The company does. I do not. I don't know how to use Chartable. Chartable is complicated. I use Chartable for uh, looking at my reviews and our rankings, yeah. but I don't do the cohort stuff. Is it useful? It's useful. I mean, just look, look at it like a SaaS product. Like, how good am I am I at retaining um, our customers? Like, when do they come back? Right. And I I would guess that your retention is pretty high because interestingly enough, for my other podcast, the Leveling Up Interview one, which I don't do as much anymore, the retention on that one's actually higher than Marketing School. So it's like you're you're, you're basically churning people out if you don't have like really good, exciting, interesting stuff. Right. Do you so. talk about your family and your personal life? No, I do on my other one. I'm like with my other stuff, but uh, Neil's pretty like, he's very like professional. So yeah. And I would actually say that like, I, we're not, so we talk about everything. Yeah. And so like, I was just in Mexico city this weekend. And like, right when I landed, people came up to me and were like, Sam, what's going on? Is that Sarah? Sarah, I knew I recognized it's my wife. Like yeah. I recognized you. And um, I think that that like, once the, the podcasts are silly or kind of crazy because like I'm in your ear for 45 minutes and that's super intimate. And so if I reveal intimate information, it feels even more intimate. And then you feel like, you know, me, and if something bad happens to me, you feel pain. If something good yeah. happens to me, you're excited. And so I prefer revealing information. And that's a big actually criticism I have towards Neil. Neil is always professional. I remember one time he was doing this thing on his blog, Quick Sprout, where he was growing his supplement business to $100,000 a month. Mm-hmm. And someone made a comment on the on the blog saying like, that's so unfair that you're able to do this or something like that. And he said like, well, I'm really sorry this upsets you. And I'm like, what the fuck, Neil? You don't feel that way. Like, <laughs> tell them like, like to say the truth, tell people how you feel. Well, uh, 
let, let me tell you what happened there. So he, he pays people for the comments, right? Like he's got so many comments now. So he has people like comment. So that's the response. Um, it's not his real response. I'm sure there's a little bit of empathy there, but yeah. I just, I just, all I'm saying is like, I think that being a human is important. And I understand that maybe there's a fear there of like, well, but like telling my real feelings won't exactly make me more money. And I understand that because like we live in a cancellation, like a world where you can be canceled. But I, and I have a lot of friends who do that and they succeed. Mm-hmm. But I think that with podcasts, maybe there's a world where you'll actually make more money by kind of towing that line a little more. I actually agree with that. I mean, again, it's, it's creativity, right? By the way, okay, going back into HubSpot more. So the HubSpot podcast network. So this is interesting. And I, I told Neil this already. We'll make, we'll make this public. Did they, did they recruit you? So we were talking to them and they're like, whoa, well, Neil's reputation, you know, da, da, da. And I was like, well, you know, like I could have pushed it. Right. I think I, I could have gotten us into it, but there is that whole thing. And I was like, hey, Neil, I, I don't think we can get into it because of your reputation. Wait, <laughs> so, what's his reputation? So in the the SEO, the market, like as a business person, like world class, right? Like as, as long as you get to know him, like he's actually like really good guy. Right. But in the SEO marketing world, some people just really do not like him for whatever reason. And so that that reputation starts to spread. I don't know where it comes from. But you Got know what? It. Actually, I do know a little bit because he used to do, he used to hire a bunch of writers and the writer started actually plagiarizing, copying other people and other people thought it was him. And yes, he was responsible for it, but they thought it was like him ordering people to do that. And that wasn't the case. So yeah, I understand. But so what, 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 yeah, the yeah, question is, the question on the HubSpot network. So how beneficial has has it been being part of this podcast network? The most beneficial thing is that I could just focus purely on content. That's all I have to focus on. So in that regard, it's hugely beneficial. Second, like they handled hiring all of our producers. Sorry, I mean the um, the podcast network where you guys are like promoting other ones like, oh, you should listen to this Guy Kawasaki podcast. So we're just now doing that. So for example, I'm starting to do ad reads. I did them a little bit already. The problem was that when we got acquired, we were basically the only one they had. And so it's been one year and they've recently... I'm not sure if I'm allowed to say how big they are, but there there are millions a month of downloads. Obviously, we're at 2 million, but I think we are the biggest or if we're not the biggest, we go back and forth with a couple other people. Mm -hmm. And so for the longest time, we didn't have anyone else to do ad reads for and vice versa. And now we just got to the point where we're able to do swaps. And I'm actually recording my first swap with Entrepreneurs on Fire in like a week. Mm -hmm. And so I'm going to figure out how good good it is. I have a feeling it's going to be awesome. Hey, we're, we're down to do swaps whenever, but that would, I guess that would be not part of the network, but let me know. So, yeah, well, and I told him, I was like, let's just do swaps with everyone. Let's do swaps. And so we do, we did a swap with Jordan Harbinger yeah. and he's bigger than us. So we had to do like three to his one or uh, something. And so that, that, but that worked, that was really effective. Oh, so how, how much of a lift did you get from doing that? Dude. So I'm not, I'm, I'm analytical, but probably less so than you for sure. Less so than you. Mm-hmm. The problem with like chartable and everything is it's really hard for me to understand if it's working. And so the only way I know it's working is if I read in the comments and it says, heard about this show from Jordan Harbinger. It's awesome. Mm. And like, if I read like five of those reviews in the comments, I'm like, Oh, that worked. Got it. Okay, cool. That, I mean, that makes sense. I mean, there's, it's more of the kind of uh, let's call it the qualitative feedback and that's giving also, you signal. Yeah. And I look on Twitter like a madman. So like I search my first million, the Sam Parr, which is my Twitter handle, Sean's handle, MFM. I search like crazy to uh, see what people are saying. Dude, I forgot to tell you, you want to know what the biggest hack was? And I'm shocked it it worked this way. So about five weeks ago, right before Christmas, we did this thing where we said, go to our YouTube page, download our videos, turn it into clips, post them on your handle, 
and use our hashtag. And we're going to give $5,000 to the people who we think are interesting. And interesting is defined as just what we think is cool and also views. Our hashtag, if you, there's two different hashtags because I read the ad wrong. So there's MFM clips and MFM clip without an S. If you search those on TikTok, I believe the cumulative views is 30 million. And that happened and they got 30 million in one week. And that was amazing. And I've got so many people saying that they see my TikToks, uh, our TikToks, our faces on TikTok. Dude, last, okay, I listened. So I was walking last, I think it was last week and the week before. So I was like, oh, I'm going to listen to my first million. And th- that one, that headline stood, stood out to me. And at the time when you recorded that, it was 15 million. Now it's 30 million. It's 30 million. It was crazy. It was wow. crazy. And there were some people who made stuff on Twitter that didn't get reach as many people, but it was really creative and they like made funny cartoons and stuff like that. And so we gave five grand to them and we gave five grand to this one guy. I think his handle was MFM cuts and he got like either 15 or 30,000 followers on TikTok in like a week and multiple videos of his has over a million views. Yeah, that's that's way better. I mean, by the way, we ended up using the same um, contractor you used, which they did a really good job with the high quality stuff, but it just started getting really cost prohibitive. So it seems like you guys stopped, right? It was expensive and we didn't figure it out. But what I'm learning is it sh- we, we did it wrong. We optimized for Twitter. We should have optimized for TikTok. So mm. that's what we should have done. I mean, you can take those videos and repost, right? Yeah, yeah. But there's minor differences. Like, like there's minor differences. But yes, and we, sh- and we should have done it the whole time. And we should have learned. But like, I know how to grow on Twitter. I don't know how to grow on TikTok. Mm. And we, but we should have been doing that the whole time. Let's talk about Twitter real quick. Cause I mean, you have what a couple hundred thousand followers or so. No. So I got to a, maybe 80 or 90,000 followers, like pretty systematically. And then I was like, I hate this. So I stopped doing it. So now I'm at 120, maybe organically. Sean did a good job of like still playing the game. I think he's at like two or 300,000. That's interesting. So like, how much time were you spending before? Why do you, why did you start hating it? Because to me, like I'm starting to spend more time on it now because like the quality of people there that are hanging out, it's typically higher. I think I just got jaded because I like all of my, like I started doing it like three years ago and then a couple of friends started doing this and I'm like, Oh, all my friends are doing this and we're all, and I know the game. I know how to do this. I helped invent the game. I think like this whole thread thing. I think I was one of a bunch of people that like started doing it. And we started adding, like, I, I think I was one of the first people I've seen that maybe I'm wrong, but I was the first person that I've seen where at the bottom, I put like, you like more stuff like this? Give me a follow. Each week I tweet stuff like, you know, like every other day or something like. Oh, like, you, were, you were one of the pioneers of that part. I think I was, but uh, I hadn't seen anyone else do it because that's like a traditional ADA, attention, interest, desire, action. What's the action? The action is to follow me. And so yeah. I just applied that. And I just kind of got bored of it. I, I found it to be a game that I, I'm like, oh, I, I figured out how to win this. I don't really care about winning it anymore. Yeah, got it. So a couple more things I wanted to talk about. Close off the HubSpot topic. So how is it working? A, did you end up getting your nut? Uh-huh. Okay. And then B. Not, yeah. Yeah. I mean, like, but I have, you know, I've got my hands in a bunch of stuff. Yeah. I mean, so those last three weeks are crazy. Uh, the last three weeks, the stock, HubSpot stock has like, gone down like 30%. But when we sold to them, I think they were worth $16 billion. And their peak, like maybe a month ago, I think it was $41 billion. Wow. Today, what's I don't know what they're at today, but like they're more than 16. When I sold to them, my prediction, and I wouldn't say I was, I would say I was more lucky than I was smart, but I saw their financials and like they were growing like a 
like at a billion in revenue and growing like 40% a year. And they only had 100,000 customers. And I was like, who would use HubSpot? And I was like, wait, I think every business ever. Like that, so like they definitely can reach like a million customers. And if yes, I think this company can become a hundred billion dollar market cap in five years. Mm-hmm. And when I sold to them, that was the bet that I was making because I, I got a lot of HubSpot stock. And immediately after selling, like the when we announced the deal, and it didn't go up necessarily because we announced the deal, it also went up because mostly went up because they're growing like crazy, or almost always went up because they're growing like crazy. But the deal went from like 16 billion to like 25 in like day one. Wow. And um, it was, um, I'm assuming maybe it's like something around like half cash, half stock. Not originally. No, but it, the stock has made up a large portion of it. Yeah. That's great. Be, be, because, of, because of the gains. Yeah. Congrats to you on that. So how has that ex- experience been working for a, working for a big company now? Man, it's been awesome. Like right when we were about to sell, Brian Halligan, the CEO, the then CEO and founder, he basically said, he's like, you know how like Austin has this sign that says, keep Austin weird. I'm going to put a sign that says, keep the hustle and keep Sam weird. And here's my number. And if anyone tries to tell you, like censor you or hold you back from being weird, text me and let me know. And everyone at the company kind of had that sentiment at first as well. And it's all been true. They've been wonderful to work with. They, um, they do a really good job of like of letting us do what we want to do so long as we're getting really good results. Everyone's super sweet and kind. Like it sounds like I'm like this is like a promotion for them, but like, dude, they've been awesome. They've been lovely to work with. Do you interact with the marketing team at all? Like Matthew Barbie, you know him? I've only talked to him maybe once, but uh Kieran Flanagan is was the guy. And Kieran is badass. Kieran, what's his title? Senior director or senior VP of marketing or something like yep. that. But he's been there for like eight or 10 years, like for a long time. And then I hang out a lot with Kip, the CMO. And I talked to Darmesh a, a bit too, who's the founder and like the, one of the most interesting people I've ever met. And they're all like savvy. They're all wise. They're all kind. They're realistic. I, I have nothing but good things to say. Let's talk about Darmesh real quick. I mean, I mean yeah, it's, it's so everyone, if you haven't seen yet, check out the HubSpot culture deck. I mean, they do a great job there. I mean, in my opinion, I think like culture ends up being the number one thing all top CEOs obsess over, blah, blah, blah. And he's, but, he's, he's not the CEO. No, he's not. He's the, I know he's, yeah. um, so I want to talk about his role because I remember you talking about this on the pod and he's like, he, he, he knows like what he's good at. He knows what he's not good at. So he's carved out something very specific. He's amazing, dude. He's amazing. So I'm going to tell his backstory. I, this might be a little bit wrong, but I'm, it's from what I remember. He basically sold the company for like, he didn't tell me, but I, if I had a guess, it was like in the 10 to $20 million range. So he got made money. And he was like, what am I going to do now? So he went back to college. He went to MIT. And while at MIT as a senior project or something like that, like business school project, he met Brian, the CEO of the now CEO or was recently. And they partnered and did this project. And they're like, oh, that's cool. And Darden Master was like, well, I'll fund it. Here's $500,000 or something like that. And so he's the largest. But, but he goes, but the rule is, Brian. I'm never going to report to anyone other than like you as like a partner. And I'm never going to have anyone report to me and I'm just going to hop around and, but I'll get stuff done. And I, he's, they've, they've stuck with that. And Brian recently nearly like died in a snowmobiling accident. So, but he, he's fine now. And so he left HubSpot for a little while and moved to like a chairman role. And Darmesh is still there. And I think 
you can like look all this up. I'm almost positive he's the largest individual owner of HubSpot shares. And he balls out, man. He like, he's just like, he's like you and me. He's like an internet nerd who like geeks out on fun stuff with me. And like, he invests a lot. He loves BitClout. Like anything that's like the latest and greatest that like, even if it fails, he loves like diving deep on it. And yeah. so for example, he was like, this YouTube thing is pretty fascinating. I'm going to like start a YouTube channel. So he's got a YouTube channel that like, it's just, a, it's just a hobby for him. Or on BitClout, I bet he's one of the largest purchasers of BitClout stuff. And, but because he's like probably a billionaire, like his version of a hobby is like, you can spend like $5 million. Yep. And, and he just dorks out and nerds out on really fun, cool stuff with me. He's, he's, he's interesting. Yeah, man. It just like, look, sounds like you're having fun. He's having fun. I mean, at the end of the day, I think it's like you go, you work really hard, you get your nut and then you just, you know, look at the future and you're probably just investing. Right. And, and, you know, you're probably creating stuff because you want that leverage anyway. So let's talk about investing a little bit because I remember you are, let's talk about angel investing first. So what are you doing around there and what has you excited right now? I started a syndicate and a syndicate is basically, I invest my own money and then but like I secure a larger portion of the of allocation to invest in the company that I personally can fill. And then I create a syndicate and I send it to my friends. And if they want to join, they can. And so in doing that, we'll invest like $15 million this year. We probably about 50, 50 different companies. Um, angel investing, as of now, it definitely feels just like a really expensive hobby. I haven't seen like, I've seen some markups, like I've had one thing that I invested $15,000 turn in on paper to like $400,000. So I've had it like one or two like that. So I'm, my total portfolio is up a fair bit, but I've only seen a couple markups. Uh, Are you looking so, to get to like a hundred investments and you're hoping for one to be like a thousand X return? That's how everyone says that it is, but yeah. I have not like, I don't know. I've, I've invested in a, everything I've invested in. I'm like, I think this could five X at least, but then like, there's some stuff where I'm like, Oh, like this definitely can hundred X. It just takes forever. It takes forever. It takes like yeah. four, five, six, seven years. And so it that's a little stressful. What's what what's like your thesis right now? Cause I mean everyone and their mom is trying to do the web three stuff, right? What's yours? I don't do that. I don't I don't fuck with that. I don't do web three. I don't do I don't do that many consumer stuff, some consumer stuff, but that that many. I really like enterprise stuff because I know how to run a sales team or I, I've had a sales team. I know how that works. I know that a sales team can drive demand. I love uh, businesses where you can use content marketing to grow and you can't really use content marketing to grow for a lot of consumer stuff. I don't understand Web3 entirely. I don't understand the value in it as opposed to just like a normal company. So I don't typically invest in that. I love at-home diagnostics. So like my big theme is like, I think it's crazy or I think in 50 or 100 years, we're going to think that it was ludicrous that I said that you came to my hospital and I said, Eric, you got cancer, but had you scanned your kidneys or your pancreas like uh, three months ago, we could have caught this. And in my opinion, that conversation will not exist in 50 or 100 years. And so I love investing in things that prevent that. So for example, your uh, the levels, like the you know levels. So I'm a, I was an angel investor in that. I think that's going to be huge. Um, things like this whoop. I wasn't an investor in that, but like that's an example of things I would like to do. Got it. Um, by the way, your so I imagine for deal flow, the podcast helps a ton for that. Oh yeah, yeah. Are they definitely. 
Cause I mean, what, what I do is typically like, if I want to get in on something, I'll just like hit them up or like, sometimes I'll like, you know, Hey, let's talk about it. And then afterwards, you know, can I invest? So I don't know how you do it. Well, I just DM them on Twitter. I'm like, Hey, blank is awesome. Can I invest? That's all I say. And, um, they'll say, yeah, you know, we're actually raising around right now. Or they'll say, no, we're not raising at the moment, but I can holler sometime soon. And then I just follow up with them. Got it. I love that. That's so smart. So let's talk about real estate real quick. So what are you doing there? What is the grand plan there? Because I, I think you want you had three things, right? One was real estate, one was brand building. And then the other one, I forgot what it was. But the real estate part, I agree with Sean, kind of covers the brand building piece. So what are you doing there right now? Oh, you're talking about the, the exercise. I was like, what should I do this year, Sean? Yep. yep. So real estate interests me. So here's why real estate interests me. The hustle... I think a media company and a content company is the one one of the few things that doesn't apply here. Because with a media company, I could probably kick ass whether it's newspaper, email, or blogs or podcasts. Like I'll figure out how to make good content. But with certain software, and, and definitely to an extent newsletters as well, because if Gmail changed something, I would be screwed. And so you have to ask yourself, like, do you actually think that Facebook can Facebook's the best company in the world? Can they exist in 30 or 40 years? Probably not. Like in 30 or 40 years, Facebook isn't going to be Facebook.com. They might be a holding company or they might just be a a VR. Like they're going to be totally different. And so you have to either innovate all the time or you're going to die. And I find that to be cool, but I don't want all my assets to be like that versus like a building that was built in 1910 can still like, you know, when was the Empire State Building built? Like, uh, you know, when were some of these buildings built? potentially a hundred years ago, and they're still wonderful and they still make money. And so I wanted to allocate a significant amount of my assets to things that can just last for a hundred years. And I can teach my kids how to do, and it's kind of dummy proof and real estate, I think is a good example of that. And so I'm doing a couple things. The first thing that I did, the house that I'm in right now, we bought it knowing that we rent it out six months a year and we live in New York the other six months. And so that's what we do now. And so that's been quite profitable. The second thing is I'm looking at it right now. I just bought a vacant lot and I'm building, I'm developing my first property to sell. And I think that, I think I'll make $500,000 in profit from that. And the third thing that I'm doing is I'm looking to buy a 20 to 50 acre plot of land with a house on it. And I'll put small cabins in a barn that has a gym. And I'm going to create a brand of like fitness boutique hotels. And I'm going to do it all roughly one hour outside of major metropolitan areas. And I think that will do really well. Cool. And is your plan to document all this as you're doing it? Yes. It's been terribly challenging at the moment to find properties. It just takes forever. I'm just like, searching on Zillow constantly and I have agents. And so it's really uh, tedious and not fun at the moment, just searching for stuff. But yeah, I'm documenting a lot of it. So for example, this vacant lot I bought, it wasn't actually vacant. It has a 200 square foot house on it, a shack basically. And I made a video on that, that people liked. And I showed all the numbers of what I think I can earn off of it. It's on my YouTube page. So yeah, I'm documenting it. You would smash it on TikTok with this stuff. No, I haven't, man. I've not done it. Like other people are doing it for us. Yeah. No, I'm, I'm just saying like this as a concept would totally smash it on like a TikTok. Oh, yeah. Dude, TikTok is hard for me to understand, man. Like just hire someone to do it. Actually, I'll intro someone for you after afterwards. Yeah. Dude, young people are so like on TikTok. I'm like, everyone's hot. Everyone wears vans and everyone's incredibly creative. Like all these young <laughs> guys are like so handsome and pretty and everything. And they like are so creative. It's pretty like you know what's interesting. Like when we're in our 20s or 19s, like we start saying, like, you look at your parents, like they say old people shit, right? Now it's like we're starting to say old people shit. <laughs> yeah, man. Like 
I think that there's pros and cons. Like the young people now, I think they they suffer from depression way more than we did. And I think that's a huge issue. But they're incredibly creative and they're incredibly kind. Like, I don't think bullying is nearly as prevalent from when we were in high school. Yeah. Like, like I remember, and, and so I'll do like market research. Like I'll like, I, I have these nephews who are in high school and I'm like, Hey man, like what would happen if someone called you gay as an insult? And they would be like, they're like, I was like, what would you say? And they're like, well, why is, why is that an insult? And I was like, Oh, perfect. Thank you. You gave me exactly. I'm just, I was just trying to fit And Like, they don't even think like when we were younger, we, that was unfortunately what we would say. And, and like, they were like, but that's not even, why would anyone ever mock someone for being gay like that? So like yeah. things have evolved, like they don't like tease as much. It seems. Have you asked like, what are the insults now? Cause that, that gay comment was like, as long as I can remember, yeah, it was a thing. So yeah. Like that's a good question. I didn't, there were some words that they said that basically mean like basic. I don't even remember what those words were, but like being basic yeah. uh, was like an insult. Shit, we're getting old, man. All right, working towards wrapping up here. So by the way, everyone, make sure you check out My First Million. It's great stuff. It's always high quality. Like I, I'm just waiting for the quality to start to like go down, but it just doesn't go down. I'm not like blowing smoke Dude, up your ass. That, sounds, so. that means so much. I really appreciate that because there's a lot of times where we'll record. I'm like, that was awful. So, <laughs> but hey, I mean, that's what keeps the quality high, right? So <laughs> yeah, like I would way. say we're, we're driven by paranoia of like Same. sucking. What's the book? What's that book called? Only the Paranoid Survive by um Apple's Intel's guy. God, what's his name again? Anyway, Andy, go check out the book. Andy uh Rof. Yeah. Yeah. There yeah. you go. R- RIP. All right. So favorite book. Usually when I ask this question, it's like the one that comes to mind. So what do you got? You you mentioned um how to get rich already, which is a great one. That was probably the biggest impact on me. And then you know who Robert Green is? Is that the 48 Laws of Power guy? Yeah, 48 Laws of Power was good, but I think he has this book called Mastery that just changed my life. And it was just about like being a craftsman. And like you have to, uh, like a lot of the people who you see who are successful, even if it looks like an overnight success, they've been like working on projects and getting good at their craft for like a decade. You know, Neil's a good example. You're a good example. You guys have been doing this for like as long as I remember. And like you're just good at it. And so, like, if you do something when it gets to 100, thousand dollars a month in revenue like in six months like quickly it's like well yeah because i've been putting in the work for 15 years right and so i like that book mastery awesome um this i, I thought I, I bought it but apparently i don't have it so do you have the did you is this an audiobookable one or did you physical copy so right now i do i do audiobooks for things i want to listen to while i'm on a walk and because like, i walk a lot and then i have other books that i listen to when i that i want to read at night Books that I want to like understand what's going on, I do Audible. Books that I'm okay falling asleep to as I read are typically fiction, and got so it. I so I did that as an Audible. Okay, got it. I will I will pick it up. Thank you for that one. And how about favorite tool that you've added in the last year? Getting a fancy mic and a fancy setup. So like it looks the way that I look right now, it looks kind of natural. But what you don't see is that I've got like this huge light, this huge light. I've got a fancy camera that's like set up in such a way. I've got a fancy mic and like making this look perfect has helped a lot and also making it. So I just click one button and it works. How much did that run you? 10 grand, 20? No, no, the, uh, no. Uh, how much did these mics cost? $600? Yeah. Four, four to 600. Yeah. So then 600 plus another 200 for the amp and all that stuff. We have a nice camera too. 
Okay. And then the company owned that camera, but it's a Sony A7. How much does that cost? That's like a couple of grand. Okay. So $2,000. And yeah. then that's actually, I have one of these big fancy lenses, which was really expensive, but I just use the stock ones. I like it yeah. better. And then each light is like $200 maybe. And then I've got a, the standing desk that you see how when I, I'm yeah. moving it up and down, I have the camera attached to it. So when one thing moves down, when, when it moves, everything moves with it, including the mic. Yeah. And so that was like $800. And then I've got a, I have it set up. So does it look like I'm looking at you right now? Uh, a little bit. So that's something I've been trying to achieve. So I've got like a screen right below the lens. Mm -hmm. And then I have my monitor up here. So if I want to like look. So I've been trying to like nail it so I can look right at you, but it's really hard. So anyway, yeah. all that together, maybe three, maybe 4,000. Yeah. Give or take four to six or so. That's, that's awesome. By the way, um, so... You talked about the walks a little bit. So we, we talked about mental health and this will close it out. But like for me, like I just know when I look at my phone in the morning that my mind gets scrambled and I start to get more anxious. And so I try yeah. not to look at it. So the like I'll do the meditation and I, I'll make it a priority to not take out my phone with me when I go on a walk. So I'm just wondering like what you do, because like me, like without the phone, like my mind's way clear. So oh, yeah, my phone's never in my bedroom. My phone and computer are never in the bedroom. And so when I wake up, I wake up to an Alexa alarm. Today, I woke up at 4.45. I didn't do it on purpose. I just couldn't sleep for some reason. But typically, I wake up at 6.30 or 7. And I get coffee. And I read for one hour. And I take notes while I'm reading. And then I go for like an hour-long walk. And then I do some work. And then I eat at noon. And then around between 4 o'clock and 6 o'clock at night, uh, like I start a pretty intense workout. Awesome. Amazing. By the way, everyone. So um, Sam has at least verbally committed to being at the next event that we're doing. So we'll see what happens there. I'll talk to Sam. Sam, what is the best way for people? Dude, to I'm down. Uh, as long as I'm in town, I'm down. I live like a mile from that. Uh, Perfect. From the, w the Sam Parr on Twitter. I have like, if you're a fitness fan, I've gone hard on fitness content on Instagram. So it's same name, the Sam Parr. Don't email me, please. Cause I don't know if I'll see it and I'll, uh, but holler at me on Twitter and I'll definitely see it. All right, Sam, thanks so much for doing this. Thank you. You may have completed this level, but many more bosses await. If you're looking to level up in marketing or business, just go to singlegrain.com forward slash leveling dash up to get access to our individual and team training programs. That's singlegrain.com forward slash leveling dash up.